This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to The Property Show on the Morning Run. I'm Simwee Boon. According to reports by the NGO Think City, there have been increases in temperatures of our cities over the last few decades due to development and changing urban trends. And recently due to a viral video of a building having its glass shatter because of the recent freak rainstorms, this has fueled a growing concern regarding climate change and how it might affect the buildings in our cities and if they are built to withstand the effects of climate change. So for a special episode in conjunction with World Earth Day, which happened yesterday, I have with me Lilian Tay, Vice President of Veritas Design Group and the immediate past president of the Malaysian Institute of Architects. Good morning, Lilian. Let's start with the main topic. How is climate change affecting the buildings in our cities? Okay, um, I, I think all of us, I think in recent years, are increasingly um, concerned about the impact of climate change because uh, it cuts across uh, everyone. I think recently, some adverse storm incidents, even as recent as last week, uh, have brought the notion of the impact of uh, adverse impact of climate change. Um, well, the good news is that our current structural design codes are based on like 50-year wind speeds and 100-year flood levels. So they are actually quite sufficient um, to withstand the what we see currently as um, some of the more uh, adverse uh, storms and uh, that we have suffered in recent years. Um, it, sometimes, you know, I suppose because like that video that we, that came that went across uh, the whole country of that glass uh, shattering in, in a building downtown, Despite the fact that it looks quite alarming, and, and indeed, of course, it is at that moment, you would note that uh, I don't believe anybody was hurt because it was using good safety glass, which is part and parcel of our normal design criteria you know, for glass. So even though it shatters, uh, it shatters into little pieces that does not actually injure anyone, even though it may, it may shock uh, people in the round there. Um, but it is a good reminder for, for us all, that we always have to adhere to uh, good prevailing um, design specifications and also, well, that encompasses both the structural design as well as uh, building design standards. What are some of the basics of the structural design code that must be implemented, like the core fundamentals that keep a building safe for us and protect us from climate change? Okay, um, well, uh, for the building structural frame, for instance, they have to withstand certain wind pressures, uh, wind speeds and wind pressures. In Malaysia, we are quite lucky that we are not like, for instance, in uh, Vietnam or in Hong Kong, where you have um, already, as uh, you already have typhoon and cyclones. Uh, we actually are comparatively in a relatively safe zone, uh, historically. And uh, the type of fluctuations that have we have seen Recently, you know, maybe past five, ten years, uh, I remember there was uh, also some incident in Penang around eight years ago, the freak storm. Uh, maybe it's a freak storm event, not necessarily a direct impact of climate change. Our current design codes, as mentioned earlier, is, is still uh, well within uh, the current impact that we have seen. I think more importantly is really the, the need to work long term uh, towards um, 
reducing our carbon footprint, reducing our energy consumption. And that already has been in place in Malaysia. For instance, um, in 2009, uh, PAM, uh, Pertuan Architect Malaysia, had already initiated our Green Building Index Green Rating System. And that, um, uh, we, we hope, of course, more buildings adopted. Um, but even in the last 10 years, 10, 11 years that we've practiced um, that the Green Rating System is available, there has been many buildings uh, that have been designed to these higher specs in terms of uh, lower energy consumption. Uh, for instance, uh, in the old days before the last 10 years, a typical building uh, may consume about um, 250 kilowatts uh, hours of energy per annum per meter square. And uh, if you were a green rated building, you would be consuming about 50% less energy. So that's uh, quite a considerable uh, impact in terms of reduced energy usage. And that happens uh, through increasing the spec of uh, the building envelope such that it doesn't uh, take in so much heat and then you end up using more air, more air conditioning. Uh, also, we try to admit more daylight so that you reduce uh, use of electricity for lighting. Um, so, and overall, there is uh, a great reduction in the carbon footprint. Uh, the long-term action is already, uh, had already started to happen. Uh, what we do see in recent, in the most recent last couple of years, is there's been a drop in the number of buildings uh, adopting green rating. Uh, for cost reasons, uh, trying to bring down costs. And um, also, uh, I, I believe that there is a need to get more buildings now to commit to that long-term reduction of energy consumption. Kuala Lumpur has set its, its own um, target to reduce 70% uh, of its greenhouse gas emissions uh, by 2030, 70% by 2030. So these are quite ambitious targets. And what we would like to see uh, is that uh, there is more incentives or even enforcement. I actually think that incentives are not enough. Uh, looking at the trends from the last two, last few years, uh, there's been a drop, as mentioned, in buildings taking up a green rating. And so we'll like to see that the government steps in with uh, either more uh, more effective incentives to incentivize people to actually adopt it. For instance, now I think the incentives take a long time to be uh, enjoyed, you know, in terms of the tax rebates, it's like long after. And it's also the incentives are not very effective uh, for uh, developer housing, for instance, where you hand over to the building management corporation to continue. So I think there is a need. I mean, in, in Singapore, for instance, uh, it is actually... Uh, mandatory for buildings of uh, larger than a certain size, I think it's around 200,000 square feet, to actually have green rating. And uh, I, I think that it's not a bad thing at all uh, to make it mandatory for large buildings that generally uh, can afford it uh, and will actually be able to achieve it with a relatively smaller uh, percentage cost. In fact, I think um, uh, it, we should also uh, recognize some of those who have taken exemplary steps like uh, Penang Council uh, and Majlis Bandaraya Pulau Pinang that have actually made it mandatory for uh, high-rise and high-density developments in Penang. Um, that um, unfortunately uh, the uh, we haven't seen that yet in uh, other local authorities, and I think that to me seems more important 
to make these small steps, which cumulatively will be much more substantive in addressing climate action than to make um, uh, increased requirements uh, based on you know, sort of concerns uh, raised, public concerns raised when we have adverse storm incidents like last year. Okay, so it sounds like, you know, a lot of the things that we already have built in the cities around us are, are pretty are pretty resistance to what is perceived as the coming effects of climate change. Structurally, they're sound and there's no risk of collapse or, you know, real damage. Is, 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 that, is that the conclusion that, like, we could somewhat arrive at? Uh, yes. In terms of the overall structural integrity, I um, generally present design structural design codes are sufficient to um, cover the range of fluctuations that we've seen due to uh, adverse climates or, you know, uh, uh, the storm, uh, the higher wind speeds that we have seen. Uh, but I think there is a need um, with these, um, you know, it, it, may, it may become worse. And, and there is a need for us to uh, use, to have more data. I think there's a need to collect more data in all the new development areas. Like, for instance, wind speeds are probably, there's not enough data on wind speeds on new development areas, for instance, and within the cities, for instance. Um, and, and, and that will help to monitor uh, the situation so that uh, we will be uh, well aware uh, in good time uh, if there are uh, firm trends of increasing wind speeds, for instance, that will require us to review uh, building design uh, code requirements. So more data and more use of much more affordable desktop simulation uh, to, to, to study the wind movements around buildings, um, that will help. You know, traditionally, it used to be all a physical model testing, wind tunnel test that becomes that's very expensive and only undertaken by very large projects or very tall buildings. Uh, but now, with the availability of uh, simulation, uh, computerized uh, uh, computational fluid dynamic simulation, all a desktop study is much more affordable uh, and should be done uh, for for larger buildings, for instance. Okay, we're going to take a short break and come back to this. So don't go anywhere. BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on the Morning Run. I'm Simwi Boon. And with me today is Lillian Tay, the Vice President of Veritas Design Group and the immediate past president of the Malaysian Institute of Architects. Um, it's a World Earth Day episode and we've been talking a bit on how climate change has affected buildings. But what I want to ask you now, Lillian, is what about heritage buildings, all the buildings that have been built like decades ago? Um... In terms of it being protected against climate change, are they able to withstand the changing temperatures, the weather patterns? And if not, you know, what needs to be done to protect them? Well, uh, I think actually the bigger threat to uh, the conservation of our heritage buildings is not so much um, its resistance to climate change uh, factors uh, and, and weather changes, uh, but more increased land values um, and, of course, uh, uh, development pressure really uh, in their location, which are often in our densest cities, you know, where land values are highest. That really is the, the biggest uh, threat, I think, to our heritage buildings. They sit on very precious and expensive land parcels, and therefore, uh, unless they are gazetted, uh, which is a, a process that is um, voluntary, in the sense that uh, even you may be nominated, but the landowner does have the right to say no. 
that's uh, what is the bigger threat that um, the increased uh, property value that's its biggest threat in terms of its uh, resistance to climate most of them are usually sort of based on good old-fashioned design that is quite responsive to the climate already in fact being naturally ventilated for low-rise building is probably a good thing a good uh, practice because you don't um, create uh, differential wind pressures for instance that cause the roof to fly off um, it's, it's when you're totally enclosed inside and you have high-speed winds outside that your roofs will fly off for instance but if you are naturally ventilated the wind pressure differentials are much less so I, I don't believe that they are particularly in a dire threat uh, from increasingly adverse weather conditions. Yeah, I think it's more uh, about um, uh, incentives again uh, to uh, heritage building owners uh, to keep their buildings and, and for local authorities to uh, be to make clear decisions about which are the important heritage zones in the city uh, and to make planning regulations that will, of course, uh, benefit um, the entire city. You know, when, when the building is conserved, uh, the irony is that for the building owner, the heritage building owner, they may feel that they have been deprived of the full appreciation of the value of their property. So in a way, you know, that's, uh, that, um, that works against, of course, you know, us uh, local, I mean, local authorities um, imposing strict uh, planning uh, conservation uh, policies because they will feel that uh, uh, heritage owners will feel that it violates also their their rights uh, set out in the federal constitution right the right to uh, property and enjoying the full beneficial value of their property so how to build a balance between the both yes i think uh, we've all been familiar with the latest news regarding the convent book in nanas uh, which has brought the spotlight of uh, conserving our, the heritage buildings to the minds and hearts of many people that brings up a good point um, i think local authorities need to exercise their discretionary powers to enable and facilitate for instance you know uh, for instance a school it's usually located in a very large tract of land you know with the playing fields and it is well within the powers of the local authority when approving the development and you know you can't say no to the development to impose conditions that will help to conserve some part of the heritage building for instance not just the facade but some portion of it and then to give some um, some allowances and uh, relaxation of other requirements to enable the developer to be able to do that without incurring a lot of additional costs for instance they may get some relaxation on setbacks um, and on car parking requirements. Uh, these are some things that uh, we, we can do to facilitate uh, conservation of heritage buildings or part of them. So the case with Bukit Nanas uh, and the previous Bukit Bintang Girls School uh, incidents uh, would, I think, uh, impose some uh, opportunity for local authorities to exercise the powers to try to conserve part of it, to, to work together with the developer to facilitate them keeping part of it. You, you can't say no because they have full rights to develop it, but you can say, please keep this portion and to enable and help you keep this portion, we're going to let you do this, this, this. I think that's something uh, that um, they need to uh, consider doing to do their part. Indeed. Anyways, back to the building of our cities. Apart from it being structurally sound and able to withstand climate change, 
What about the sustainability of how buildings are being constructed and the material used? Can we say that the way Malaysians are building their buildings or cities are sustainable enough or is it still a long way to go for us? Uh, well, the good design criteria are now uh, established, uh, you know, through green rating systems such as the GBI, Green Green. Uh, and it is more uh, a matter of policies to uh, encourage wider adoption, uh, to encourage and incentivize wider adoption so that many more buildings do their small incremental parts uh, towards, um, you know, reducing uh, energy consumption, uh, increasing the performance level of uh, a building. You know, the building envelope is better, the windows are not letting in so much heat, so that we can all generally do a bit across the board. And that cumulatively, I believe, is, um, is needed uh, to be able to withstand uh, climate change in, in the long term. Uh, in terms of the short-term effects, I think structurally, as mentioned, no, no issues. Uh, but we should also take a bit more care, you know, with things like uh, windows and uh, wind, uh, glass walls. Uh, those, they may be subject to more localized effect of wind pressures. Uh, but as mentioned, uh, they should be tested um, and, and the means are there to test them. Um, and for, see, for large buildings, we will have a specialist come in, like a, a facade consultant, who will actually do the testing of the exact localized wind pressures around the corners, you know, in, in, in especially buildings which are funny shaped, will create differential wind pressures around. But if the building generally is sort of square, it's, it's quite easily uh, calculated with the you know, traditional uh, calculations. We, we should take advantage uh, of the fact that they, uh, it's now more easily available to test so like windows, for instance, in higher rise, uh, low uh, affordable housing, uh, we should take a bit more care to ensure uh, that they withstand uh, higher wind loads, things like that. Uh, in terms of building structure, as mentioned, no issue. Uh, for windows also, it's just about testing uh, whether there are local effects from increased wind loads that uh, may need us to upgrade a bit the window specs, for instance, or sliding doors, sliding glass doors. There's also the Green Building Index, the GBI. You know, how does it fit now into the modern conversation of climate change and sustainability? I mean, does it need to be reinforced? Is there anything that needs to be tweaked and updated? Because this plan is somewhat a plan that's been around for years. Um, well, it's uh, our GBI has been around for 11 years now. Um, and uh, what we've seen, as, uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, has been... Uh, a drop in the buildings uh, and developers uh, who have undertaken to commit their buildings to uh, satisfy green building requirements. So we would like to see a more commitment from the side of uh, developers, uh, building owners, um, to embrace these uh, good design, sustainable design practices as embedded in the green rating system itself. And uh, I'll actually like to see the uh, local authorities give direct incentives uh, to those who do that commitment. For instance, they should be allowed to build more, higher plot ratios if, they, um, if they're doing a green building. Uh, they, I think Kuala Lumpur used to do that. Um, in, in a few years back, uh, you would get a little bit more uh, uh, allowable density should you be a green building. And we'll like to see that uh, to be enforced, actually, um, to to be to ensure that more uh, in the building industry um, take it up for uh, the long term until it becomes actually uh, second nature we hope 
All right, but now let's focus on our listeners for a bit and the homes that they live in. Lillian, what are some of the ways that we can make our homes a little bit more sustainable and climate friendly? Uh, I think a few years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, it was a lot more expensive to uh, buy some of these fittings. For instance, um, tap fittings that are uh, more um, and, uh, water conserving. But now they, uh, because the demand has increased and the production has increased, uh, it is fairly inexpensive and there's no not a big cost differential anymore between, uh, for instance, buying a tap fitting that is uh, more, um, the, the water flow is more controlled and therefore does not cause so much wastage. Getting solar powered lights, LED lights, all that. So I think a, a homeowner can certainly um, quite quickly and fairly inexpensively now be able to upgrade the the light fittings, for instance, um, the sanitary fittings, to be able to reduce uh, the water and energy consumption, and that should be uh, encouraged. That should be encouraged. That will uh, be if everyone did that, there will be quite a substantial uh, decrease in water consumption, in electricity consumption, and household bills. Because it's so much cheaper, really, than for instance seven, eight years ago. So the cost to go green has actually gone uh, down. Um, and the payback period is shorter, uh, for instance, than in, when we first started some 10 years ago. And therefore, uh, it, it indeed would be worthwhile for more buildings to, uh, big or small, uh, to embrace um, these the simple steps from just changing fittings, uh, improving um, the thermal insulation of your roofs, for instance, uh, in changing the glass to be a better, higher performance glass, for instance, for houses perhaps that have a lot of uh, glass windows and glass doors, uh, they, they could um, change some of the specs of this to be able to reduce their energy consumption and carbon footprint. Thank you very much for being on the show, Lillian. That was Lillian Tay, Vice President of Veritas Design Group. That's all the time we have for today's property show. I'm Sim Weeboon, signing off for the morning run. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.